Thank you for listening to the Fearless LA podcast. We believe that where love is greater, fear is less. Tune in today to hear a life-changing message from our lead pastor, Jeremy Johnson. Uh, anybody excited about the Super Bowl today? If you don't like football, you're probably not going to like my message today all the way. But I'm, I'm talking to some people today about sports, and I'm going to use sports analogies and football analogies next week. I'll talk about high heels. I'll talk about painting your nails. I'll talk about, I'll talk about art. I'll talk about LSD. LSD. We'll talk about LSD. Uh, but for this week, we're going to dive into some football athletic analogies. So don't think we always do this, but today is Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, good. So I, I just want to see if we can get a wave real quick from the left to the right. And so I'm going to start right here. I'm just going to go with my hand. And all those two good people are just going to sit down and look at me crazy. But I'm just thinking we got some crazy, fearless people that are going to get up and go, Whoa! So come on, let's pretend like we're on Team Jesus right here. Come on. Come on. If we have, if we have some people that are excited about Team Jesus from the left, oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. You're about, to, you're about to paint yourself and run around and go, wow, we got some men of God up in this house. We got some men who know how to, you're about to, you're about to push that cross down and say, devil, you are a liar. No, don't put the cross down. Uh, uh, ready? One, two, three. Come on, from left to right. Ah! We're from, from right to left. Ah! All right, that was all right. That was all right. If I don't see the fans at least do that at Super Bowl today, I'm just going to, come on, what's going to happen today when someone scores a touchdown? What's going to happen today when their favorite team wins the Super Bowl? Come on, there will be people crying. There will be people, shrines, Bill. Come on, can we, can we give Jesus a, a, a wave of praise in this house? I know, I know we've never done this. I know it's a little bit cheesy, but for the sake of being cheesy, come on, let's have some fun at church today. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on, from left to right. Ah! Yeah, come on, from right to left. Ah! There we go. Now you can tweet, we did the wave in church. We did the Jesus wave. The pastor literally made us do the Jesus wave. He crazy. Amen. Amen. I want to read you some stuff because here's the deal. Here's the deal that you'll find out about me. I want to be like my mentors. So here in this book, I've been given tons of mentors. I have, I have mentors that are still alive, but many of my greatest mentors are dead. They, they live in these pages, and I've never met them. I can't wait to one day meet them. I can't wait to one day meet Daniel and David and Jeremiah and the heroes of faith that, that I've read about everything of their life, and I can't wait to meet them. And they, they teach me things. And so one thing that I see from some of my heroes is even when they were real smart, they didn't speak to people to blow their minds at how smart they are. How, how they have this all so eloquent. What they did often is they took things that were so high and so lofty that very few actually even understand them. And even if they do understand them, they've only understood it by the Holy Spirit. Many of the, my heroes in the Bible, actually when they met them, they're like, dude, these guys are, let me tell you about them. They are unschooled. They are untrained. Oh my gosh. They, they are ordinary they're regular, but the only thing I can tell you is after being in a courtroom with them, after, after them spouting their faith, after them being witnesses, the only thing I can tell you is they've been with Jesus. In other words, there was something on Jesus that actually changed how I even perceived them. 
and, and, and most of them were ordinary. So, so even to understand the lofty things of God, in fact, all of the disciples, after Jesus comes back, raises from the dead, and he's talking to them, he's hanging out with them, he's eating with them, he's, just, he's preaching to them, he's preparing them, their final classes of internship before they're actually about to launch the first church. The Bible says the, that Jesus literally just opens their brain and, and helps them understand things. And so I feel like with me, that's what God does all the time. He opens my brain. He helps me understand things that I shouldn't understand. I failed certain things in high school, but then all of a sudden I start reading this and God gives me things. He gives, and so I know that if I have something, it's not because, oh, I know all this stuff. But, but here's the goal in Christianity. Here's what the heroes of faith did. They were able to take things from the top shelf that God had revealed them and bring it down for someone to capture in whatever season, whatever moment they're in. And so, so Paul was famous for doing this. This is all going to make sense in a second, what I'm talking about. Let me, let me bore you for a second to prepare you, is that Paul was famous for doing this. So Paul, in his day and age, and really Paul was not one of those that they would have said this about. They wouldn't have said Paul was ordinary. They wouldn't have said he was untrained or unschooled. In fact, the first set of disciples were, but when Paul came along, he was kind of intimidating because Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And if, if we could say that, he was a graduate of graduates. He was the doctor of doctors. He, he knew the word inside and out. He knew the law. He, he knew the history. He, he knew the, the, the words that no one knew. He was, he was studied. He was, he was well formulated. He was, he was eloquent with his words. He could, he could dazzle a whole courtroom or a whole audience of scholars. You know, someone's smart when they can, they can make professors go, oh my gosh, I've never heard that. That was Paul. But Paul constantly was famous for taking things that were so lofty and bringing them right to the people. And so we can see that in his writings all through the Bible. And what he did during his time is he used sports to, to help people understand God. He used, he used the athletic games I know you may not see it like that because we don't have the same sports exactly today, but if Paul were here today, he would use football to help you understand how much God loves you. He would use baseball to help you or whatever you're into. And so he was doing this with the people because the people of his time were super into the games. Everything was about the games. In fact, one of the games that they had was almost like the Olympic Games for us. You know, we're, we're believing one day we'll have the Olympics in, in L.A., and so even they're, they're changing the whole airport. I mean, if you've ever been to LAX, you know that, that there's some construction on the airport. They're preparing far in advance because it's a big deal. Well, at the same time of their day and age, the Olympic Games were everything. In fact, people would go compete on behalf of, of their area or their, their world. In fact, the games that they play were usually fought by, by either someone for their country, someone from their country would rise up or their, their nation or their area, and they would go compete on behalf of all the people. And so they would show up and they would either race, uh, they would box, they had, they had wrestling. In fact, their wrestling and their boxing, I think we have some pictures of this. It was, it was not like our boxing, where there's just a referee making sure no one gets really hurt. Uh, it was, it was a, a battle to the death. See, this was the referee right here, you can see. And uh, these men, when they fought, they went into the arena with, with no clothes on. They went into the arena fully ready to die in that place. In fact, how they would determine a winner is whoever was left standing. Their goal was to break the other person. That, that is the fight 
that they would have when they would wrestle. In fact, some, some of the boxing was a little different than our boxing. You can see kind of in this picture, and I think we have another picture of it, but they would wrap their hands uh, with, with certain wraps where they would put uh, bone and glass on, on their wraps so when they boxed, it literally would cut the other person and break them. And so I, I'm saying all that because I want you to understand when Paul's talking like boxing, when he starts preaching about boxing, he's not talking about our, our modern day boxing where, you know, you, you know, you win and I mean, it's still awesome, but, but he's talking about a totally different thing. Uh, these games were very, uh, I mean, they were bloody. They were, uh, you know, at the end, and, and then it led to more games. The, the emperor started realizing people loved these games, and so uh, he would he, he built the Colosseum, and they would they would take the people they they had captured from other nations, and they would make them fight as slaves. This is where we get the movie Gladiator. Who's seen Gladiator? They would make them uh, the the captain that was captured and become a slave, and they killed his family. And here he is fighting for his freedom. And so often the people would come watch, and they would have their favorite fighter. Um, they would you know they would be cheering them on or many times the fighters of the emperor would have full armor and the and the fighters that were captured from other lands would would have a broken sword or not much so when they would win it was a big deal usually they would lose or at the end of it if someone would lose they would feed them to lions many times during these games they would feed christians to lions uh, for their faith i mean it was a it was, it was a ritualistic uh super bowl moment for these people, and this is, Paul is referring to this. I'm just setting you up to understand the scripture, because when we read the scripture, you're gonna be like, oh, cool, you know, I've passed that 100 times. You need to understand what he's talking about. And even some, some unique things that I, I discovered about when they would wrestle, before they, they, number one, they would train with music. So whenever they would train, there would be a whole, um, and, and many of these pictures, leave this picture up, because I, I do, oh, uh, yes, leave that picture up. Um, they would train with music. And, uh, you know, just as when we train, worship helps us get through our training, right? And, and then when they would fight, they would actually fight with music and they would learn their moves to musical um, things. And then when they would fight, they would fight with no clothes on. They would, they would strip themselves of everything that could hold them back. We, there's several scriptures where we hear Paul saying, strip yourself of everything that entangles you and realizing what you're in. And then they would, they would put oil on their body to wrestle each other so they would be slippery. This is the Holy Spirit. When we begin to have the Holy Spirit on us, the fight changes. Huh, the enemy tries to grab you and he's like, he can't grab you anymore. There are several things that we can pull from these. Now, seeing all this, and right here, I love this. See all these, I don't know if you can see that, but there's all these um, wreaths. These, um, they're, they're like stalks that go up. These were actually what they would be given when they would win a match. So if David won the race for the whole nation, his, um, his part of the nation would be given one of these. And David would take this home with pride to his city, to his nation, and he would put it in the middle of the city. He would give it to the king, and the king would have it set up there like, we have the baddest warriors. We have, and some picture that I see when I think of that is that um, to those that overcome, God's going to give you a crown. And then the Bible says that we're going to get this crown not a crown that will fade away, because these crowns faded away, but a crown that lasts forever. And then, and then it also is clear that when we get to heaven, we're going to lay our crowns at Jesus' feet. 
So here's kind of the picture. They, they, they come and they, the conquerors brought what they conquered. They laid their winnings at the feet of the nation and the nation celebrated with them on what they conquered. This is, I, I really believe people in this crowd that have faced hard circumstances and haven't given up, haven't quit, haven't walked away from a, The Bible says you are getting crowns. God is preparing crowns to those who overcome. And you're gonna walk into heaven not empty-handed. You're gonna walk into heaven as winners and saying, I won for the kingdom of heaven. Let me just put that. I was abused here, but I, I didn't quit. I forgave. I, I got back up. I, I was walked out on here. And they said, and, and you know what? I believed God. I felt like quitting here, but I kept pursuing God who he said I can be. I felt like I was a failure, but I got up one more time and God says, here's your crown. And now you're going to walk in heaven and go, God, there we go. I was holding it down for the city. I was holding it down for the kingdom. And I, I really believe we have some people that have been holding it down for the kingdom. I want to I read this. So that's all to set you up to understand where we're going. Uh, this says this in 1 Corinthians 9.24. 1 Corinthians 9.24, it says this. Do you not know that in a race, so these are the races they would run. In a race, all runners run. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, it's time to run. Paul's talking to the first church, and he goes, first church, if you're in the race, called life, called faith, no one gets to walk. In the race, all runners run. If you've received Christ today, you are in that great race, that high call to win the prize. So run if you're in the race. All runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way, somebody say such a way, as to get the prize. Don't, in other words, Paul's saying, don't run this race like you're going to lose before you start. If you're going to run the race, run it like you're a winner. Run it like God chose you to complete it. Run it in such a way. Can I, can I tell you this? There is a way to win and there is a way to lose. Losing doesn't happen on game day. It happens in the practice field. Come on, I just encourage you. I know we all want to get to game day. We all want to win. We all want to survive. We all want to do big things. But we fail to realize winning does not happen today. The winners today did not become winners today. They became winners six months ago, seven months ago. They became champions when none of us were watching. They became a champion when I wasn't wearing their shirt, when the fair weather fans weren't cheering them on. They became a champion when it was raining, when it was snowing, when they were in a back room lifting weights, thinking maybe this will be, maybe there will be purpose in this. Maybe there will be destiny in this. Come on, if we want to win the game, if we want to win at life, and we want to win because we have Jesus living on the inside of us and we want to bring a crown home for him if we want to win it does not happen on Sundays it happens on Mondays it happens on Tuesdays it happens when pastor's not there to cheer you on it happens when you got to look yourself in the mirror see there are three enemies to your faith the world the Bible says those that love the world cannot love me in other words, if you have a love of the world greater than you love God, you will hold on to this and never want to get there. The love of the world is an enemy to our soul. 
We also know we have an enemy called the devil. Most of us are, are nervous about him or whatever it is, but I just need to let you know the devil was defeated on the cross of Calvary. The devil was, 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 was defeated with every nail, with every, with, every, with every piercing of his side. When he came out of that tomb, the devil was, you don't need to be afraid of the devil today. You don't need to be afraid of him with his little pitchforks telling you, I'm going to ruin your life. You need to let the devil, oh, no, it's just you. You were defeated on the cross of Calvary. You're just trying to tell me that you're going to win. You ain't going to win over my life. But your third enemy is the one that defeats you. It's your third enemy called your flesh. It's the enemy in a me. Maybe not for you, but I've realized it for me. It's not the devil that really breaks me down. It's not even the world. I've, I, I'm, I'm focused on Christ. Hey, man, I'm living for him. But it's the enemy in me. It's that attitude that creeps up in the middle of the night. It, it's that secret frustration. It's, it's the, oh, man, no one was proud of me. It's the, oh, man, I, I wasn't seeing it. It's that flesh. It's, see, the flesh is not going and sleeping with a prostitute in Vegas. I know we think, of, oh, that, oh, man, they're getting real fleshy, snorting cocaine. There they are. We, we, we had titled the flesh to an action. The flesh is not an action. It's the action of me giving into myself as God. And so over and over, we control our life. We try to win for us. And God says, we got to let that flesh die. You are in a boxing match with your flesh. You are in a fight with your flesh. Come on, next time your flesh rises up and says, quit here. You say, uh-uh, I, I wasn't born yesterday. Uh-uh, no, God has greater things for me. Uh-uh, no, you're not winning here. No bad attitude. We're not going any further on. No bad ideas. No, we're not going on. I am serving the Lord today. So you got to be able to do that when no one's watching. You got to be able to do that when, when everything's going wrong. Look, look, let me tell you this. Kobe Bryant, the, the great Kobe Bryant. We, we've mourned this week and probably mourned the rest of the year. I've seen today someone painting an incredible mural in the Arts District. I can't go wait to go take a picture. I, th I think we should put some, um, somewhere on our building, we should put a Kobe Bryant mural somewhere on there. How many, we need to see someone to paint it. And uh, I think we should honor what that man meant to this city and, and everything. And so I was just watching films. I, you know, I'm not really from L.A., so I, I see that the people that grew up here, it has affected them different than even me. I'm trying to be sensitive and stuff, but I haven't cried or anything. But I know my brother Tyrone, I, I met him out there when it just happened. He, he, you know, big dude. Biggest dude I know besides Devon. Maybe him and Devon could wrestle. Uh, and uh, but was just bawling like a baby out there. When it happened, I was just trying to, I, I love to try to just get in someone's shoes and go, why, why was that so painful for him? And, and it may be obvious, but to someone you didn't know. And so I just began to watch videos of this man and things that this man was teaching people and different things. And one, one video I watched, he, he was kind of talking about how he became the greatest. And, and he said, when I was 13, I wasn't the greatest. And he said, I would get the list of who's the greatest. I was number 67 on the list. And so I looked for 65, 60, 60, 66, 65, 64. And I, I got their names and I said, I'm gonna take them off first. And so he, as soon as he would face them in a match, he studied them for days and weeks and weeks because he knew if he could just get past, past 66, he could move up in where he was at. And so if he's going to get to number one, he's not going to get there overnight. It's going to take time. It's going to be a process. It's going to be steps. And so he would pick people off. This is crazy. A 13-year-old thinking like this. That's why he became Kobe Bryant. And so he said, when I would play people, instead of playing with my strengths, 
I had 32 games. I had 64 games. Instead of doing that, I actually chose to play to my weakness. And many times I lost the game playing to my weakness. And he said, the coach would yell at me. The other teammates would yell at me, but I knew I wasn't in this for the moment. I was in this for the long haul. While Johnny, who's 13, is playing to his strengths. Oh, I got the alley-oop. I got the three-point shot. And all game long, all he's doing, three-point shot. Well, Johnny turns 14. He's still shooting the three-point shot. Johnny turns 15. He's still shooting the three-point shot. Johnny turns 18, and all he's got is the three-point shot. But Kobe Bryant lost a few games. But in the few games I lost, I was working on my left hand. I was working on the shot I didn't have. So by the time I was 18, I had developed those things that weren't good. And I still kept the things that were good. And now I was the greatest. I'm just telling you here today, if you want to be the greatest, you got to train like you're going to be the greatest. You got to prepare like you're going to be the greatest. It's great to be great at basketball or business or being a mom or owning, owning a company, but let's be great at being believers. Let's be great in the kingdom. Let's not, let's not negate our soul to work on our flesh. Let's say, God, we want to be heart, soul, and mind, body, soul, and mind, and we want to be great. If you're weak in an area, don't be embarrassed about it. Just work on it. Many people don't realize that God has grace for you. He doesn't need you to win every game. He just wants you to continue to be transformed. I found this about my God is that my God is not about my comfort. Let's say that again. My God is not about my comfort. Because <laughs> if he was, I would have never moved from Modesto. We had a nice house. We had a good setup. We had a future church to take over. I would have never moved to the beach, or, or let me say, God would have never moved me to the beach with seven people in a karaoke mic and no job in a city I couldn't afford. If God was only about my comfort, he would have left me in comfort. But you got to understand, God's a dad, but he's also a coach. And coaches aren't in it for your comfort. They're in it for your transformation. See, God is trying to transform us. And sometimes transformation comes through failing. Sometimes transformation comes through losing a couple of games. Sometimes transformation comes when you can't lift it. And you're like, I can't go any further. And something inside of you shows up. A second win. Something inside of you rises to the top. And you do it anyways. God wants to transform us from glory to glory. See, the, the beginning is salvation. Salvation is the beginning. It's not the end. It's not like, oh, I got saved and now I'm here. No, no, started from the bottom and now I'm here. No, 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 we're not here. We're in a process. God is in a process with us. He is processing us. He is changing us. He is shaping us. Come on, don't be afraid of the shaping. Don't be afraid when coach puts you into practice. Don't be afraid when he says, come on, come on. I, need, I, need you to, I need you to work on this one thing for 22 weeks. I just needed, what is this going to do? What's this going to do in my, what is working on anger going to do to help me with my marriage? Well, let me tell you from a marriage perspective, a lot. What's making sure my finances are right. And I, and I put the kingdom first going to do to help me with my business. Well, let me tell you a lot. You're in training. 
You're in. God is training you. He's strengthening your weaknesses. He's not just making them happen for you. He says, come on, come be a part of the story. Come on, at the end of the day, your, your hands, your feet are going to be a part of this. Come on, you're going to be the dad of this, this children. You're going to be the husband to this wife. Come on, I need to train you. I need to prepare you. Come on, the Bible says, if you're going to win, train like someone that wants to win. Come on, we can't just enter this and go, whatever happens. This is how we live out our Christian life. Whatever happens, God wants it to happen. It will happen. No, you got you to gotta, you gotta work. You got to be a part of the story. God rested on the seventh day, but for six days. I think we got it backwards. We're like, I'll work one day, and I'll rest seven, and the grace of God will cover me. Yeah, it will but you ain't going to get any crowns. You're going to show up empty-handed. God said, there was a crown with your name on it, but you went the easy way out. What's the worst thing, if you've ever played sports, is someone who's already great, but it's not willing to put in the work. Remember when Kobe and Shaq used to play together, they got fist fights. You know why? Because Shaq was great by his size. Kobe says he could have been the greatest player to ever live, ever. But he didn't have the work ethic that Kobe had. If you don't have the work ethic, you could have greatness living on the inside of you. But only achieve average greatness. Because you could. I could get up here and preach now after preaching for 22 years without even thinking. You could hand me a verse and I could probably preach about it. But why? Why not be great? Why not take time when none of you are watching to go study things that maybe I don't even, I'm, my brain is feeling like it's going to fall out. I'm in a coffee shop till two in the morning and everyone around me is studying their homework and I'm studying the Bible and I'm sitting here on my fourth coffee in and I'm saying, God, show me something, teach me something. And maybe I already have a sermon, but I'm going to push in. I'm going to press through because I'm not going to be average at what you put in my life. I'm going to be great and I'm going to continue to grow. I'm going to continue to be better. This is what we should be doing as believers. Not just with our skill, but with our spirit. Ah, we work so hard on our skill, but we neglect the very fact that the greatest thing you have is your spirit. You had your skill when you weren't saved, but you didn't have your spirit. Your spirit was made alive when you received Christ. That's the gift you've been given. Your gift is not your talent. Your gift is not your ability. It's the fact that you should be dead, but he gave you life. What if we begin to say, God, this year I'm working on my spirit. I'm growing my spirit. I want to continue reading on that. It says this. Um, it says, compete as one, running away to get the price. I keep talking about Kobe, but why not? Right? Yeah, go for it. Thank you. And I've been watching a lot. So whatever I'm watching a lot comes in my sermons. And um, there was this other thing that he said that when he got to the pros, he, the first game or something, he missed five regular shots, free throws. He just airballed it five times. And it was embarrassing. It was all over the newspaper. People were mocking him. And so instead of getting depressed, he went and watched the game films. And he noticed, he couldn't figure it out because he, he never missed that shot. But he realized that the games he were playing were twice as long. And so his, and it, many more games that he had to play a week. And so he was realizing it wasn't his shot, it was his legs. 
His legs were strong enough to carry him where he had already been. But to carry him into the next season, he had to strengthen what he already thought was good. Let me just say this. Maybe you're airballing right now, not because you're a bad player, not because you lost it, not because you missed it. Maybe it's happening right now because you actually went to another level and the new level you're on, you need new legs. You don't need God to give you new legs. You got to start training different than you used to train because God has opened a whole new circle. See, when I was a single man, I could make every shot. My finances were good. My relationships were good, but then I got married and I had to get new legs on how to be a new Jeremy when I have someone else in my life. Then we had kids. And then I had to learn how to be a new Jeremy when someone else got in my life. Each level, God had to call me into a new level of strengthening who I used to be. So you know what Kobe did? Every day in the gym while no one's watching, he did this for hours. You see him on video. She's just doing this. He's like, Kobe, what are you doing? You need to work on your shot. You had air balls. No, it wasn't my shot. It was my legs. I realized from studying myself, I don't have to beat myself up. I didn't miss because I'm bad. I missed because I wasn't ready. And now I'm going to get ready. I'm not going to miss again. There's not going to be another game that doesn't work out because I'm working this thing out. Come on, if you missed it last year, quit beating yourself up. Get in the gym. All right. I got this. I see God. You showed me through the Holy Spirit. It wasn't my shot. It was that I went to another level. And now you trusted me with that level. And so I'm going to work hard. You're not saved by works. But you are saved to work. You're not saved by works. You can't get into heaven because you preach the sermon or help the homeless. Or you can only get into heaven because you cried, Lord, save me. But now that you're saved, now that you have life living on the inside, now that you have this gift, what are you doing hanging out? You're in a race. You got to bosses. Look, I'm in a race. I'm running to get the prize. I'm focused on the prize. Come on. We, we got to get our focus off of all of the things and focus in on what God put gave you life for in the first place. I'm focused on finishing this thing well. And it says, verse 25, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. Come on, you you got to throw yourself into strict training, not just in getting better at your skill, but you got to also, when you're training, you got to deny yourself certain things you want. You, you, you got to be willing to eat a different way. You got you to say, no, I would love to have that, but it, I, I got too much. There's too much vision. See, when you get a vision, it's easy to change your eating habits. When you get where you're going, it's easy to change. Okay, I don't, I don't really need to eat all that. I, I don't need to eat all that junk food of, what, what I'm, of life, and I need this and that. No, no, I, I got a prize. I got a prize. That's, I, got, I got something I'm working on. You ever, you ever seen someone that's engaged? And, and they need to lose a few extra pounds. All of a sudden, they're in the gym. They're like rocky all of a sudden. You're like, what's going on? They got a, they got a vision. They got a vision on opening night. They're like, God, I got to get there. And I'm going to do what it takes. When, when we were getting married, I worked out four times a day. I had a little dog. I had a little dog. And I ran that little dog. The dog should have died. I don't know how it lived. I ran at least five miles a day. Why? Because I had a vision of the prize. And my wife's like, can you get that vision again? I'm trying. Three times a week. Amen. I had a vision, and I was willing to let certain things go for the sake of the vision. 
What Paul is saying is anyone who knows they're going into these types of games is okay with the strict training. They're not, they're not hurt by it. They're not upset by it. They're saying, no, this is what I have to do to get to where God's taking me. They do it to get a crown, these people. That won't last forever. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, Paul said, I do not run aimlessly. Like whatever happens, I'm just on a jog. I do not fight like a man just beating the air. No, I'm preparing for something. Every battle, every trial you're walking, every secret thing you're going through is preparing you for something. You ought to start letting it tip you off. God's got you in the practice room. You're like, why am I here again? God's the one I'm preparing you. If you're, if you're going through a struggle right now, just know there's a victory on the other side of that. But God is putting you in that practice room. Therefore, not run like a man aimlessly being there. Do not fight like a man beating there. No, I beat my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. I want to read you one more verse. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Come on, touch your neighbor and say, you're surrounded. Let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us. He's talking about the runners that would run in the, in the arenas in that time, the, the athletes. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Who's the finish line? Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who the joy set before him endured this cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him, Jesus, who went before us in such great opposition and from sinful men so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. I love when I meet people that have a football team. Anybody, anybody not of anybody, do we have anybody that admits they're a fair weather fan? Come on, you say, I'm just admitted. I'm a fair weather fan. Whoever's in the Super Bowl, I'm gonna pick one of them. And usually I'm gonna pick one because I got a reason. Many of many of us are fair weather fans, but we just don't have the guts to admit it because it's embarrassing. Because we're not cool like those people that have like like Carlos, he has his cheese head. This whole thing he does. I mean, I wish I would have thought of that when I was like 12, and then me and Carlos could be friends and we wear our cheese heads together, and, but I just didn't. So no matter what I do at this point, it's just you're just you're just in it for the moment. And and and, and you know if you ever met a real fan, uh, they, they know the stats of the games. They don't they don't just they don't just um, they're not just on the bandwagon uh, because because it's they're in the Super Bowl. Uh, they you can you can count the teams they support on one finger. You know Carlos today. I'm like hey, you, who are you gonna root for? He's like, I'm not gonna root for anyone. What's, you, you love football, right? I do, but I'm not rooting for anyone. Like you can count the, a real fan, you can count the teams that they like on one hand, right? One hand. And then uh, if, if you listen to the reason they support the team, it goes beyond because my girlfriend likes the team. It goes beyond really because I grew up there. There's much more deeper of a reason. I mean, it was, it's a big reason why. I know for Carlos, you own stock in, in, in the team and, and all this stuff. And, and we all know that because uh, you told us that three times. We, we pray that they get, they get better. And, um, and, 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 and you know a Fairweather fan because you notice that they only go to the, the games when the team is winning. And you know what a Fairweather fan is, is, is because they usually walk out before the game's over if the team they're rooting for is losing. 
Real fans will stay all the way to the very end to high five the players, even if they lost. And real fans actually get to see more of the game because sometimes the greatest turnarounds are at the end. Fake fans will jump when their team isn't in the playoffs and another one is. So, so I guess I'd start out with, are we, are we fake fans of God? Or are we real fans? Can we count our teams on all our fingers? Or, or is there one team that we're serving? Is, is, there, is there one dream you're pursuing? Is there, there one passion you're pursuing? Because if you can't, you're a fair weather fan of Christianity, not a real fan. Or maybe you have 10 teams. Or, or maybe you're only on the team called Christianity when your team is winning. When it's going good, when everything's working out, when you're floating, when you're sinking, then it's like, I don't know if God has my back. Because if so, you might just be a fair weather fan. But, but I, 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 when I look at this verse, Mark, I find out that in fact, we're not fans at all. That, that my Bible says there's a great cloud of witnesses. Wait, but that's not us. And it didn't call them a great cloud of fans. He called them witnesses, meaning they had touched the situation at one point, and now we're witnesses to it. Oh, that's David. That's Daniel. That's, that's Samson. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's Nehemiah. They're the great cloud of witnesses. And so if there's a cloud of witnesses watching me, I'm not a fan. I'm a player. See, you're not called to be a fan of Christianity. You're called to fan into flame. Now, 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 there's fans like Carlos and stuff like that and these guys. And Carlos will tell you, if the Packers lose, he'll say what? What we say? We lost. And I look at Carlos and I think he's crazy because he didn't lose. The Packers lost. I say, did you guys win? We won. It was a great victory that we had. And he'll say, well, I can say that because I own stock. No, no, you didn't win because you own stock. There's something in your mind that thought being a fan is being on the team. And I think the same thing happens in Christianity. Sometimes we're fans of this thing called Christianity and we think we're on the team. And God's going, you are on the team, but you gotta start acting like you're on the team. Come on, look. Anybody have a jersey on? I had a jersey earlier. Anybody, Chuck, stand up. Come here, come here, come here, come here. So you're number 81. I can't believe that, bro. How long did you play for? Did you play for a long time on the Redskins? You, I mean, that's incredible. Number 81. Dude, I thought your name was Chuck. Monk. Wow. That's awesome, man. You never told me. We should have had you preach about Super Bowl. And Oh, he's just wearing a jersey. He's not actually Monk. He's just a fan of Monk. See, see we got we to gotta stop wearing just the jersey of Christianity that says Daniel. And we got to realize that in the locker room, God has a jersey for us. And, and the reason why you got to realize that is God keeps passing you the ball. He keeps throwing you the ball and, and we're confused why all hell keeps coming against us. We're like, oh, why am I being attacked here? Why, why are you tackling me? Don't tackle me, finances. Oh my gosh, I'm a Christian. Do you know I pay my tithes? And God's going, no, I threw you the ball. I threw you the ball. I threw you the ball. No, no wonder why you're, you know what happens when you have the ball? The other team tries to take you out. Right. The other team, when you got the ball, the other team doesn't look at the other people. They look at you. They're after you. No wonder why the flesh is after you. 
No wonder why the enemy is after your finance. No wonder why it's after your marriage or your relationship. Why? Because you have the ball. You know what it means to have the ball? You now have the ability to change the score. You now have the ability to change the score. All eyes are on you. All the witnesses are cheering you on. Look, I just came to let you know, you're not a fan. God is, he has prepared a jersey for you with your name on it, and he wants to pass you the ball. And many of you already have the ball. Thank you for listening. If you have something you need prayer for, we would love to pray for you. Visit fearlessla.com slash fearless TV to fill out a prayer request or to find more information about Fearless LA.